You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 2. It's going to take me a while to get there. Romans chapter number 2. See. Lies, yes. Lies that are shaping our world. Lies that are shaping our world. It's going to take me a while before I get to Romans 2. But I want to start with a quote from the book Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl. And it is one of her quotes in this book. And this is Anne Frank's words. She said, in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build my hopes on a foundation consisting of confusion, misery, and death. And so there's the heartbreaking words for, uh, for, for, for a couple reasons. Uh, They were penned, of course, by Anne Frank. She was a young Jewish girl who spent two years hiding in Nazi-occupied Holland. Uh, She died tragically uh, in a concentration camp, uh, but her her writings and her words, of course, have uh, lived on, and there's much uh, to say about her. And so the lie that I want to begin to discuss here this morning, and and I hope that you uh, will, will, will stick with me, that you will uh, that you will see the importance of this lie. Remember what this series is, the purpose of this series is, is so that when you do life with people and you are experiencing the, the ramifications of these lives in their families and their situations, the things that they spout, the things that they believe, and hopefully we're not adhering to these lies. Uh, maybe we do. Last week we talked about kind of greed and things like that, and certainly that can creep into our life. Uh, But it's to equip you. It's to get you thinking about these lies, so that way in your conversations, in your interactions, you can have biblical responses, and not just be like, man, why do you think like that? But instead that you'd be equipped to be able to counteract the lie. And so here's what the next slide that we're going to discuss today, and it's going to definitely coincide with uh, the next two weeks uh, at 11 o'clock as we go into the uh, thing on Maniac of Gadara. But here's the lie. Everyone is basically good at the core. Everyone is basically good at the core. And so what's amazing about and Frank's comments that in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart, is that the, when you think about the, imaginal atro- the unimaginable atrocities that she witnessed and that she experienced, she still clung to this belief that people were basically good. She even admitted that her beliefs were against everything that she was experiencing, everything that she was uh, uh, seeing. It was like this kind of goes against the reality of my life and my belief is not because of my reality it's not because of what i've experienced it's actually it it, it goes against that 
And so it would seem that her beliefs hinged more on a hope than it did any form of conviction uh, that she had. And so the other reason that Anne Frank's words are so heartbreaking is because she has believed in a worldwide, widespread, popular lie that uh, really began to kind of kind of get its name in the fourth century. And here, here's what it is. It's the Pelagian viewpoint. The Pelagian viewpoint. I just want to give you a little bit of history uh, with this to kind of just help us to understand. And the uh, Pelagian viewpoint or the, the origins, uh, it, it, here's what it means. That people are basically good at their core. And it's a falsehood that literally goes back all the way to the fourth century. It was propagated, at least in the theological sense, by a British monk called Pelagius. He fervently and persuasively argued against the Bible or the biblical doctrine of original sin. And the doctrine of original sin is the belief that all mankind has been morally corrupted through Adam's sin. So if you were to go back to Genesis, God says, hey, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but there's one in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of it, right? And then it comes along, oh, and God said, if you do, you're going to surely die. And there was a ton of ramifications of that spiritually as well as physically, even though that would come some hundreds of years later. Basically, God was more so emphasizing the spiritual, however, they would also now physically die. And then chapter three, Satan comes along, gets Adam to take of the, gets Eve to take of the fruit, gives her husband who was there with her. He takes of the fruit. So the original sin would be considered the fall of man. And this, this teaching of Pelagius was condemned as a uh, heretical type of teaching by the synod of Carthage in 418 AD. Now this would be kind of a group of kind of theologians back in the day, kind of like a council, and they said that uh, this is a heretical teaching. But this, but this heresy was ultimately then defeated in the Council of Ephesus in 431 A.D. And so uh, it took about, about 13 to 14 years for it finally to kind of be defeated. But this Pelagius believes They've been consumed by most secular cultures, and they are alive and they are well today in the world in which we live. Atheism and Darwinism later uh, came onto the scene, and it kind of uh, toned down the thoughts of everyone's good. Uh, that's because those would teach that kind of anthropology was more morally neutral rather than it being, rather than it being good. Uh, but this, uh, this worldview remains essential because Pelagian, because they still deny the inherent sinfulness of man, whether it's atheism, whether it is Darwinism, uh, it still uh, denies the sinfulness of man. So in that sense, I'm, I'm kind of going down in the weeds here for a little bit, Pelagius and this way of thinking, Pelagian theology, still roams the hallways of government. It still roams in every single... Um, classrooms, specifically higher education, and definitely in our mainstream media. Most foreign policy disasters, and I'm not about to list those for you, but their foreign policies, they, they're disasters. It's because of the naive assumption 
that people are basically good. Okay? Psychologists continue to exclude the possibility of sinful nature from their study of the human experience. Behavioral experts, they relentlessly try to solve bad behavior by better education. And society at large is now burdened with a younger generation, a generation that is growing up that it identifies as victims rather than perpetrators. And they're refusing to be held accountable for anything that they do and for their actions. Parenting, and I be one. Okay, I'm a parent, and I got a 13 year old and a six year old. It's also been poisoned by this belief that people are basically good. Now, our children, I can at least speak for my children, they, uh, they should be the greatest proof, right? Our children should be the greatest proof of original sin. I didn't have to teach my kids to lie. I promise you, I didn't. I didn't have to teach them to not throw tantrums, or to throw tantrums. I did not have to teach my kids to do that. I didn't have to teach my children how to be selfish. I promise you, I did not teach my children the word mine with like fists and, you know, scratching and biting and those different types of things. I promise you, I did not teach them that. We were rehearsing this past week. It was so funny. We were, uh, we were visiting Carla, and, you know, Carla's got the, you know, they're, they're measuring her brain all, all week long, and we were describing a time when Danielle had a febrile seizure when she was a baby. We had to call 911, and they took her in an ambulance, and they were going, is it an EEG? Is that what it is? An EEG where they put all the stuff on her head. I mean, she's a little baby screaming at the top of her lungs. She does not know what's going on. They have literally have to put her in a straight jacket to keep her from, like, pulling all the stuff off, you know, off her head and off her body. And when she got done, you know, I mean, what do you do? I mean, she's screaming top. Your heart just breaks for her. Uh, we were in Philly at the time. And afterwards, we're in the doctor's office, and Sarah remembers like it was yesterday. She was wearing a jean-like denim jacket, and she was holding Danielle, trying to you know, coddle her, and she reached, she leaned down, and she took a hold of her arm, and she bit that thing as hard as she could. She would not let go. She drew blood. Again, Sarah's in a doctor's office. You got to be very careful what you do, discipline and all that. She reached under that jacket and just like flicked her mouth as hard as she could to get her to go off. Listen, I didn't have to teach her that. Right? And so, but it's creeped into parenting. To where we think that there's this ultimate good. Listen, people are born with a ready-made expertise in sinning. But like Anne Frank, many parents, and I've been definitely this, we prefer to believe in the inherent goodness of their kids, despite the massive weight of evidence to the contrary. So consequently, we have appeasement and medication. They've usurped the role of uh, of discipline in far too many families. We get an even harsher dose of reality when we honestly assess our own lives. Yeah, it's easy to pick on kids. How about your life? How about my life? How about your heart? How about your thought process this week? How about your actions? How about your words? How about your deeds? How about your locations? How about what you allowed in through the eye gate? What you allowed in through the ear gate? God has written His morality upon the hearts of everyone's conscience. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter number 2. For when the Gentiles, which 
have not the law do by nature the things that contain in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So you and I instinctively, intrinsically inside of us, know right from wrong. Everybody. You and I. But we live with the natural desire to rebel against what we know is right. And anybody that chooses to deny this truth ends up affirming in through their denial anyway. Ends up just, I mean, within their actions. So clearly, the Pelagian lie is incredibly persuasive in the world. And hear me, churches... And Christians, we carry a we carry a enormous responsibility to you know repudiate this lie. It's shaping everything. And you and I were to were to repudiate that. You and I were to were to stand for truth. Not only do we have the conscience, but as a believer and as a church that preaches the gospel and that preaches life in Christ, we also now have the Holy Spirit in our lives pushing back, the restrainer against what is right and wrong. And so churches ought to be where it is repudiated. But unfortunately, that's not necessarily what's always happening. The belief that people are basically good is now thriving heresy in some of the most popular churches in America. So not only is there a Pelagian culture, there is... Pelagian churches. And we have most, most likely, it's, not, it, it, it's definitely one of the most influential charismatic churches in the country, and it's literally just up the road a couple hundred miles. How many of you have ever heard of Bethel Church? Bethel Church. How many of you have ever heard of Jesus Culture Music? Right? How many of you like the song? It plays on K-Love. I like it too. G- okay, I'm, uh, you, you can raise your hand on this. You won't be judged, I promise. Jesus, or love has a name, right? Love has a name. You hear it all the time. There's a ton of Jesus culture music that is on K-Love. And, and by the way, I like the song, Love Has a Name, and His name is Jesus. Beautiful, okay? And so, but we've got to be very cautious about some of these things. And by the way, I named a church and I'm not necessarily saying that you can't listen to Jesus culture music. I'm not saying that. But let me, let me, let me, let me just say some things here. There's there some of the most influential in the charismatic church in our country. And they're most widely known for Jesus culture, their, the, the, their group. But they also have all kinds of testimonies of trips to heaven. Listen, they do gold dust miracles pouring out of their ventilation system. Did you know that? Crazy, crazy stuff. And, you know, they've got a ton of other bizarre claims. They would take the Bible that you have either digitally or in your hand, and they would say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's it. That's all that we should ever, ever have. Because Jesus, that's it. Now you say, well, Ryan, you make a great big deal about Jesus. Yes, I do. But they say it's only, it's only his life, and it's only his teachings. Paul, yeah. Those things didn't really happen. Let me quote from you from Eric Johnson. He's one of the 
pastors there. You're not born evil. It's amazing how many teachings and theology start with that thought. Anytime you start with that, you will create a controlling, manipulative environment. Every government, every structure, every system fundamentally and theologically must start with the concept that the, that the idea that people are good and they mean to do good. Even if they are not saved, we have to start with that premise. So just like the Pope who would speak ex cathedra, Eric Johnson usurps the clear teachings of Scripture and incites on, insists on redefining it according to his own theological preference. He goes on to say this, we have to adjust our theology. We have to adjust our fundamental stance when we look at people. We have to adjust our perspective of people. We have to realize that people are good and they mean to do good. Now listen, I named a name, I get that. I, I named a church, I, I, I get that. But listen, this, this Pelagian mindset is beyond them. It's beyond just this one man. It's, it, it's really, if we're not careful, it's shaping even, even churches in our world. And so Johnson's error is nothing short of catastrophic. In one kind of fell swoop of statements and articles, he's made repentance redundant in the lives of his entire massive audience and completely obliterated the reason for the gospel. His false gospel is going to damn all those who embrace it. Because here's why. And you're like, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Here's the, here's the whole point of this morning's lesson, and it's going to get to Mark chapter number 5. Man is not good at its core. Can any of you say, yeah, the last seven days of my life? No, 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 don't, don't, don't do that, don't do that. The undeniable truth is that man is depraved. Now, that does not mean that an unregenerate sinner or that someone that's not a believer are incapable of doing anything good. That doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing something that is noble. But what it does mean is that sin has permeated every part of their nature and mind prior Christ. And even the seemingly good things that they and I did before accepting Christ as my Savior, they're ultimately done in sinful motives. And to deny that, literally, you and I, we've got to kind of keep our heads in the sand. We've got to, we have to be willing to ignore the, the depravity of man. That's the reason why I have arguments. Do you ever argue? That's the reason why we have assaults in our world. It's the reason why we have wars. The depravity of man is the reason why we need governments. It's the reason why we need police. It's the reason why we need military. It's the reason why, no doubtedly, you locked your door this morning when you left church, left for church, or you lock your doors at night before you go to sleep. It's the reason why we put walls around our prisons. Not only walls, we put armed guards and we put, you know, whatever that stuff is at the top, barbed wire, thank you. I mean, that, that, that's the reason why. That's the reason why you have borders and you have armed, it's, it's the reason why, because of the depravity of man. And the wrong things that people do are not because of ignorance or a lack of education. Sinners deliberately rebel against what they know to be true about God. They deliberately do, they go against His righteousness. Turn to John chapter number 3. I promise you, I will rescue this. Because this is heavy, I get it. 
It's not the most popular thing in the world. You say, Ryan, why would you teach this? Because well, it's in the Word of God. Notice what Jesus said in John 3, verse 19. This is after the beautiful passage when he's talking about how he's going to give himself because God loved the world, 3.16. Look at verse number 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. All the way back in Genesis 6. Turn there. Genesis 6. This is prior to God's judgment of the flood. That's in Genesis 7. But man's depravity and its sinful nature is just literally on display. Look what it says in verse number 5 of Genesis 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, those people are good at heart. Woo! Oh, the flood's a fairy tale. Ah, that's a whole other lie. Maybe we can deal with that. It's real. It happened. The Apostle Paul. Man, he delivered a powerful reminder to every believer that the primary struggle for unbelievers is never the lack of evidence for God, but rather the love for every form of defiance against him. Turn to Romans 1, please. Romans chapter number 1. This Pelagian mindset is in abundance. In our world. Someone asked me about three months ago. They said, Pastor, why do you preach through the book of Mark and hit so hard our hypocrisy, our pharisaical way of doing things? Why do you hit so hard the sin? Because there's a Pelagian mindset in our world. We're not careful. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing bad news right now. But the bad news is what makes the good news. This is what I emphasized heavily when we talked about the last time we got together. That our good outweighs our bad. This is kind of where they're going to dovetail a little bit. But the bad news is what makes the good news so glorious. Verse number 18, Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We've already kind of seen, we've, we've, we've looked at this text, even John 3, when Jesus says lights come into the world, right? Conscience, the, 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 the moral code laws been written on our hearts because that which they knew, that, that may be known of God, is manifest in them. Manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So whether it's atheism or Darwinism or hedonism, which we talked about a little bit over the last couple weeks, and victimhood, whatever you want to call it, they're all excuses for the, pat, the fact that people love sin. 
People love sin. People, they hate God. And they refuse to be held accountable for their guilt. And so they've got to, they've got to excuse, or they've got to, they've got to eliminate God. Why? Because if there's a God, that God's going to hold us accountable. If there is a God and there is a moral code, then that means that there is a right. Then that means that there is a wrong. And if there is a right, and if there is a wrong, and it's not just whatever you want to do, remember, believe whatever you want to believe, week one of this, then I've got to be held accountable. You can come into my life and you can speak to me and you can say, Ryan, you shouldn't be doing that. Ryan, you shouldn't be saying that. But if we can eliminate God, we can eliminate what is truth or make it relative, then I can live however I want to live and don't you say a thing to me. Instead, just accept me. Instead, just, hey, this is who I am. Right? Say, this is, this is true here. And so all of it really is, is I don't want to be held accountable to God. And why don't we want to be held accountable to God? Because God wrote it in us that there is a God. Why do we need to eliminate Him? Because we know that He's there. Right? And so that's, that's the reason why there's this desire to eliminate Him and to come up with all these other isms is because all people are sinners by nature. And that nature got passed on to every descendant of Adam. Look at Romans 5. Turn over a few pages. Romans 5. We okay? Say, Ryan, I'm glad I didn't invite my neighbor today. No, this would be okay, I promise. Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. What did David say? David said that he was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. So you and I, we have a sinful nature. Look down at verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. All humanity was plunged into this guilty condition because of Adam's sin. This is the doctrine of original sin. The truth that is expounded by Paul in Romans 5. We're not going to go all through Romans 5. But you literally just begin to study Romans 5. And he expounds so beautifully on this. And by the way, you and I prove our willing complicity in Adam's rebellion every time we sin. Every single time. You say, man, if I was there, I wouldn't have. Uh, yeah, you would have. For sure you would have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, we have the Holy Spirit and we still sin, right? Thanks to you. For, I appreciate that. I don't want to. Still do. Okay? And so, and since no one other than Jesus has ever lived a sinless life, no one is really in a position to doubt the doctrine of an original sin much less deem it unjust as that Pelagian church culture does. It's unjust. It's not fair. I, I, I was born this way. No, it, no, it's not fair. No one ever said it was fair. But the just one, who is Jesus, took upon him, if you wanted to say it this way, the unjust situation. I mean, think about that. God said, all right, I'll, I'll send my son Jesus. Yeah, let's make everything about Jesus. I get it. I'll send him 
to bear your depravity, to bear your sin. And so we need to abandon the lie that people are basically good and instead embrace the truth that man is depraved. Now, I think you and I can go too far with this as well. I think you and I can, if we're not careful, we can become very pharisaical in the way that we minister and the way that we live that we're only ever seeing the evil in people. And that's also not what we're trying to get. What I'm just trying to equip us with is that we're not, we're not good at the core. The only thing that is good about anybody is now Christ in us, His Spirit in us. That is what becomes good uh, within us. And so, understandably, this is an unenjoyable subject for most people. I'm trying to have fun. And without the gospel, it is. It's unenjoyable. Without the gospel, it's only bad news. But without the bad news, the gospel becomes strange. Without the bad news, the gospel becomes nonsensical. And so in this Pelagian mindset, in this Pelagian, Pelagian churches, this is what is really radical to me. In Pelagian Jesus culture churches, then why'd he come? Why'd he die? It's nonsensical. Why would he, why would, what did he take on? What did he die for? What was imputed to him? I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. It just doesn't make any sense. And so the cross becomes very confusing in a Pelagian church mindset or Pelagian Christian. We know why the world is like this. We know why the culture is like this. But a Pelagian Christian, that doesn't make any sense. And so there's no good reason for Christ to die as a sin-bearing substitute if everyone is just good at heart. If we're all just victims of stuff. That, that goes on. So if mankind is basically good, the gospel is an unnecessary travesty and the death of Christ, a tragic waste. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians 5. You begin in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. What are those old things? <laughs> Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen, God has given you and me as a reconciled believer the ministry of being his, being his voice, being the Jesus follower, little Jesus Christian follower, shining forth him. And so listen, you and I, we, we've got to be able to counteract some of these lies. We've got to be able to, you know, to, 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 to stand and give sound biblical logic and truth to people. Verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their what? Their trespasses, their sins, their evil works, their not goodness, you know, whatever synonym you want to put in there. Oh, there's Megan. Megan, done. She's a cutie. Okay? All imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. To kind of give you the context there, now I get to verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Choosing to deny the imputation of Adam's sin. Original sin. For us to deny that, for us to just put our heads in the sand and just say everyone is naturally good at heart, you also have to reject then the imputation of our sins to Christ. So if you and I, if Adam's sins did not get imputed or added to our account, passed down to our account, that's what the word kind of imputation kind of means, put to, added to, then if that never happened, then you and I also have to reject the notion and the teaching from Scripture that your sins have been imputed to Christ, placed on Christ. Christ was without sin. Ours, He was dying in our stead. He was dying a death that we owed. Lived a life that we never could. And so then if you deny that, if you deny that our sins were ever imputed or placed onto Jesus Christ, then the imputation of His righteousness to our account is also negated. Hear me, it cuts you off from the Savior. This Pelagian mindset cuts us off of any hope of salvation. And so ultimately, the difference between believing the soothing lie of a Pelagian theology and the not-so-exciting theology of the sin and depravity of man You want to know what the difference is? Heaven and hell. It's huge. It's huge, guys. The gap between the theologies, a Pelagian theology that everyone's just good at heart, everyone's just good at the core, the gap between that theology and the biblical theology of the depravity of man the gap is hell, or heaven and hell. I mean, it's a huge gap. And praise God, Jesus filled that gap. Amen? Praise Him. You and I, it's okay that Adam passed this sin down to you. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of stinks. You know, but, but, but that is bad news. Why? Because the good news of the gospel is, is that when you trust Jesus Christ, this beautiful transaction happens. You get to place your sins, which by the way, we've sinned this week, Right? Place that on Jesus. Every one of those sins when Jesus was dying of yours were future. And that gets placed onto him. He bore it for you. The Bible says he bore our sins on that tree. And then his righteousness, glory. And I preached an entire week on that part. Gets imputed to you. So the good, the bad news, and it stinks, I know. That was what makes the good news so, so beautiful. And so be cautious of a Pelagian mindset. Don't be afraid of the truth. Because the truth will what? Ultimately set you free. That's what Jesus said, right? Don't, don't, 
don't be afraid of it. Jesus wasn't afraid of it in John chapter number four when he was dealing with the woman at the well. He wasn't afraid of her depravity. He's just like, hey, hey, go get your husband. I don't have any. He goes, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, the one, yeah, you've had five or four. I'm sorry if I get the number wrong. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. So listen, he, he, deals, with, he deals with the depravity. And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the truth. That no, actually not everyone's good at heart. Everyone is bad at heart. But in Christ, you have the beautiful transaction of you get a new heart. Even in Ezekiel, it talks about, and I give unto you, I take that stony heart and I give you a new heart. You do became, hey, believer, hey, you're good at the core because Jesus is good. Jesus is love. So you are, but don't accept the Pelagian mindset that just everybody is. We'll never be able to lead someone to that goodness. We'll never be able to lead anybody to that Jesus Christ if we're all just good. And so that's a lie that the world is totally have taken hook, line, and sinker. It was defeated theologically in 431, but it is still rampant. And uh, it's rampant in churches today. And uh, that does not, and listen to me, if it's a non-gospel preaching church, then I you can say, praise God, that we are one. But I'm not trying to say, hey, here's where we are, and we're better. I'm not trying to do that. But just understand what is at stake with a um, Pelagian type of thought process. So let's pray.